Well, what a great song. If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me uh, to the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I want to begin by reading to you a letter. Ordinarily, I don't like to just read stuff. Uh, It's hard to follow, I know, in a worship service. Uh, But I thought this might be an encouragement to you and sort of set the stage for some of what we're going to talk about this morning. This is a, a letter received from a church member here. Uh, I have uh, asked permission to share this letter with you. I have edited it uh, so that it will be anonymous and uh, so it'll be a shorter, a little shorter letter. It was a very long letter. Uh, Somebody just sort of poured their heart out. And we've received a number of letters since we began this uh, depression series, uh, how encouraging it is to hear how God is working in so many people's lives, Uh, not just who have struggled or who are struggling with depression, Uh, but how God has taken this truth of where we find real joy and is bringing joy to people's lives. And so Philippians 4, 6 is where we're going to begin in a moment. But let me start with this letter. Uh, She writes, I must admit, I'm a bit nervous to write to you. I have debated if I should send this. I have never written to a pastor. However, during yesterday's entire sermon, I felt like standing up and yelling, thank you, thank you for the, for the word, for, for, for what, what she saw in scripture. Honestly, I will admit I was a bit nervous for this series to start. I've often felt like I'm just failing somewhere to not be able to overcome depression by just seeking Jesus more. I was a bit concerned that I would just begin to feel worse because I am struggling even as a Christian who is trying to overcome the frustrations of depression. I have also feared to admit in church that I fight depression. I worry that if others knew it would mean I can't be a leader or a leader's wife because of the flaws, I might not be qualified. To my relief, the beginning of the sermon immediately put me at ease just knowing that admitting I have a problem and getting help has not been wrong. Also, the facts that depression has affected so many people uh, has been a relief. Although I know depression has been in my family for generations, I have always been determined to not allow it to take me down and to overcome it by drawing near to Jesus. Trying harder always seemed to be the way I thought I could overcome the issue. I lived in denial. Uh, that I needed help, and for years my symptoms just continued to intensify. Uh, Finally, after dealing with both some health issues and the deaths of people close to me, I finally felt like I had a a good enough excuse to get help. And so I mustered up as much courage as I could to go to my family doctor who said I needed medication and to see a Christian therapist. Very few people know that I seek therapy or have taken depression medication. But today's sermon was was more help than all the hours of therapy put together. Uh, The Bible answered so many questions that I've been trying to find. Also, to know it can strike anyone, and it wasn't just because I wasn't doing my part that I was suffering. Uh, You are right when you say depression is very complex. I have put up a good fight. I have felt encouraged uh, that in the sermon, some of the things were named that I've been working on. When I first started recognizing that I was Falling into a different kind of depression several years ago, I wasn't able to shake it. I decided to start a joy journey. I worked very hard on my joy seeking through his word and and in his creation. I also surrounded myself with many reminders that he is joy. Unfortunately, I was still unable to dig out of my pit no matter how hard I tried. And I embarrassingly became frustrated with my prayers. I began to think I wasn't worthy of his help. 
I know that now is Satan's lie, but it's easy for me to believe even when I don't mean to believe it. Uh, When you reminded us from the pulpit that with Jesus, I am enough, uh, my heart swelled. I know that I have not been truly believing that or believing that I am fully loved and accepted by him, but it is time to really believe all of those things in my heart and not just my head. Furthermore, I had tears flow uh, when you read the passage about the shield. Uh, we, we talked about how God is the, the lifter of our, of, our, of our heads and he is the shield. Uh, he said, she said, I, I have that, I've had that picture of a shield in my mind for months and I constantly reminded to pray for God to help protect my heart from those fiery arrows Satan is aiming my way. And so I was encouraged to keep on keeping on. In his time, things will change. Uh, How I hope that hearing uh, how God's word has impacted uh, a hurting heart will be encouraging uh, to you and to others. People describe depression a thousand different ways. Uh, But I I think one of the things you you hear in in this description and one of the things that's common uh, to almost every person who's suffering from depression, struggling with depression, is that they are in desperate need of peace. I think one of the ways to, to, to communicate that, that depression is a problem is to say, I just don't have enough peace. I hear people say I would give anything for just one week of peace or just one day of perfect peace where there's no fear, no worry, no regret, no pain. Pastor, if I could just experience peace. Well, the good news is the Bible gives us a pathway so that all of us can experience greater and greater peace. And that's what we're going to see today. We, we started this a few weeks ago focusing on depression. And I, I want to review just a little bit so that you know where we have come from and then where we're going. We said, first of all, that there were two foundational biblical truths that you needed to know. The first one is that our hope comes from the Lord, that Jesus A relationship with Jesus is the only way that we're going to have true joy. The only way we'll ever have satisfaction is from Jesus. Our hope is in the Lord. Depression is a very complex thing, and it involves a lot of physiological things and a lot of circumstantial things, certainly. And and the treatment for depression can be a very complex thing, but ultimately, hope comes from the Lord. And then the second foundational truth we learned is that depression really is the absence of joy. When a person says he is depressed, he is saying, she is saying, I lack joy. Just as darkness is the absence of light, so depression is the absence of joy. And where does joy come from? The Bible says that joy is a fruit of the spirit and it comes from abiding in Christ. And we said that if we could learn to abide in Christ, and we spent a long time talking about what that means and how we must do that, but if we could abide in Christ, then we would experience the depression-dispelling joy that would turn on the light and cast away the darkness, that joy comes from abiding in Christ. Well, once we had that foundation laid, then we said there are some, some enemies that we face that can bring depression. Now, we can't start with the enemies. First, first we have to start with, 
where does joy come from? But once we've established that, and if you didn't hear those messages, I encourage you to go back and listen to those. But once we've established that, then we can see what some of these enemies are that bring depression in our lives. We said the first one was unconfessed sin. We said last week the second one was bitterness or holding a grudge. And we talked about how the Bible says that will put you in a literal torture chamber for the rest of your days. And today, we're going to talk about enemy number three, sin number three, that can bring, not in every case, but uh, this doesn't explain every depressed uh, person, uh, but, but enemy number three, sin number three, is ingratitude, is ingratitude. Now, I want you to hang with me a moment because I know what some of you are thinking, that doesn't seem like a very big sin. I mean, ingratitude, really, we've come here today and you're just gonna talk about being a little bit more thankful? Pastor, you don't understand my depression if you just think that having a thankful heart would somehow uh, drive away the, the misery and the despair uh, that, that I'm experiencing. It really, you're going to talk about gratitude? Well, I want you to hang with me for a moment because we're going to discover in Scripture that when we have a biblical understanding of gratitude, that it is one of the most powerful things for spiritual health and for emotional mental health. Gratitude is one of the most, most significant things that we can embrace. Gratitude, when it's understood not just from a worldly perspective, but from a biblical perspective, gratitude is like God's wonder drug. And so whether you've ever been depressed or not, whether you're struggling with depression now or not, or maybe this has never been a problem, I'm telling you, gratitude, biblical gratitude uh, can be one of the greatest life changers uh, that you can learn about in scripture. And so I think the way we'll approach this is looking here at Philippians chapter four, I just wanna go to what's gonna seem like a random verse in the middle of a paragraph, but I wanna show you this verse and I want us to understand it. And then I want you to see that this verse tells us something that, that occurs if something else occurs. So we're gonna look at the verse and we're gonna see this and, and this is what happens if something else happens. And so once we know this, then I'll, I'll show you what leads, what leads to this. Philippians chapter four, verse seven. It says, and, and really you can understand that and as then. And when we read this in context in a moment or two, you'll see why. Then, as a result of something else, then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is one of the most important verses for you to know and understand. Let's look at it a little bit at a time. And it says, then the peace of God. It's talking about peace, but it's talking about a very specific kind of peace. Why does it say the peace of God? Why does it just say the peace? Why does it just say peace will guard your hearts? Or peace without understanding will guard your hearts? It specifically says the peace of God. Why does it reference this peace as the peace of God? Well, we've got to understand that with God, there is no change. You know that God never changes. God's not more loving one day and less loving the next. God's not more joyful one day and less joyful the next. God's life is not a roller coaster. God doesn't have good days and bad days. Did you know that? It's not that you go to God and, and you know, about three minutes into prayer, you're thinking, boy, God's having a bad day today. I think I'll just stay away. 
No, God doesn't have good days and bad days. God is constant. God never changes. And so when it says the peace of God, it's talking about a kind of peace that doesn't change. You know, so many of us, we just live an emotional roller coaster and we have really high highs and we have really low lows and our lives are just up and down and up and down and we're excited and we're filled with happiness and we're thrilled with life. And then a week later, we're in despair and we're angry and we're bitter about life. We have this up and down and up and down. But when he says that we can have the peace of God, He's talking about a continual, constant peace that doesn't fluctuate. Wouldn't it be wonderful just to have a peace that was constant, just to have a peace that was not susceptible to change, just to have a strong peace, the peace of God. Now he goes on in the verse, he says, if we do whatever we're going to see in a moment that was in verse six, if we do this, then we'll have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. What does it mean that God's peace surpasses all understanding? Well, most of our emotions are easily understood. If something really bad happens, you are sad. If something really good happens, you are happy. If, if, If things are very busy and you're making high pressure decisions, then you're filled with stress. If, if you're worried about the, the, the hammer coming down next week, then you're anxious. Most of our emotions are easily understood because they're connected with events in our lives. Now, that goes back to the peace of God, a peace that's constant. If our peace is tied to the events and the circumstances of life, then it's going to come and go and come and go based on the, the seasons and, and how good our marriage is at the moment and how, how good we are with the boss and what our financial uh, situation looks like and what the doctor told us last week. All of those things are going to impact our peace. But he says, this is the peace of God. It's constant. That surpasses understanding. Surpasses understanding simply means it's not connected to circumstances. We can understand it. When, when When something really good happens, you get a big promotion at work, you're happy. That doesn't surpass understanding. I understand you're happy because you got a promotion. You're sad because the doctor gave you bad news. That that is understandable. But he says he's gonna give us a constant peace that that is that surpasses understanding. It's beyond understanding because it's not connected to our circumstances. Wouldn't you like to have a peace that doesn't fluctuate every time life's circumstances change? So he says that if we do whatever he told us before verse seven, then we'll have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding and it will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. One of the reasons why I wanted to read the the letter to you that, that I shared, it's just the testimony. And I've heard this over and over and over about how people feel like Satan is just on the attack, that, that Satan is trying to discourage them, that Satan is using, whether it's a relationship situation or a work or a financial situation, uh, that, that Satan's constantly trying to attack us and to, and to bring us to the point of despair, to bring us to the point where we just are miserable. Well, what he says here is that the peace of God will be a guard to our hearts. 
The peace of God will be like an armed soldier standing before our hearts, before our spiritual minds. And he will guard us against all the arrows of Satan. He will guard us against Satan's attempt to bring despair in our lives. Doesn't this sound good? The peace of God that doesn't fluctuate, that surpasses all understanding because it's not tied to circumstances, will guard our hearts like a like a guard standing before us. I, uh, a few years ago, I was in Kenya on a mission trip and we, uh, on, a, on a day off, uh, decided to go out in the, out in the bush, out, of, out, out, out and see all the, the animals, the elephants and the, and the giraffes and, and all that. And, and so that was a lot of fun. But somebody told us before we, before we departed, there were about seven or eight of us and we, uh, hired a van to take us out into the out into the countryside, and somebody said, "Now there's some danger in this because uh, they uh, many of the people in Kenya will just see you as rich Americans. We weren't rich Americans, but I guess from their perspective, we were, and that there's a danger that you would be uh, somebody would stop you and rob you as you're going or as you're coming, and so the government required that everybody who went on one of these Uh, tours that you would have a guard. And so I remember that morning we were getting in the van, we're all sitting there and we were waiting for the guard. And then here comes a soldier with a machine gun (laughs) to go with us. And so every time we, we'd turn around the corner, you know, this guy had his hands on his machine gun to guard us. And it brought a little bit of comfort and probably a lot of fear. (laughs) You know, I didn't realize it was so serious until the guy with the machine gun showed up. But listen, you're going out in the wilderness every day. And, and Satan's going to use everything he can to rob you of joy. But the Bible says if we do whatever we're supposed to do, we haven't got to that part yet, then God is going to give us this peace that doesn't fluctuate, that's not tied to circumstances. And that peace, like a guard with a machine gun, is going to stand watch over us. Isn't that good news? So how do we, how do we get that? How, how do we experience that? Well, glad you asked. Now, let's go back one verse, verse 6. This is probably a familiar verse to many of you, uh, but we're going to simplify it this morning. Verse 6, that's the verse before. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, don't worry about anything. That means that You don't need to internalize it and just sit around and worry about it all day, but instead, you should pray about it. Don't worry about anything, but with prayers and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That means you're praying. Now, all of that, the prayers, the petition, the letting your requests be known to God, that's just a way of saying pray, and it's talking about abiding in Christ. We, we, we just went over that three weeks ago, that if we're going to have spiritual health, if we're going to have emotional and mental health, if we're going to know joy, we have to abide in Christ. Because when we abide in Christ, we will grow the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and on and on. And those come when we abide in Christ. And hear what he says to pray. He's talking about having this abiding relationship with Christ. And, and I, I, I don't have time to re-preach my sermon from three weeks ago, but you need to know what it means to abide in Christ. And a big part of that is what you see here in verse six. He's saying you need to abide, you need to stay connected with Christ. 
But there's something here that we've not talked about. There's something here that's, that's, that's colored a little differently than just pray. Notice he says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with what? With thanksgiving. What he says is not just to pray. Lots of people pray and, and prayer all by itself doesn't bring peace, but it's prayer that is colored with thanksgiving. It's prayer that that, that, is, that is characterized by a thankful heart. Not just Lord give me or Lord help me, but Lord thank you for what you've done. And it is that thankful prayer. It is the attitude of gratitude in the midst of our prayer. That's what brings the peace described in verse 7. Do you see this? If you want peace, the, a godly peace that surpasses understanding, that guards your hearts. If you want the peace, then you have to have thankfulness. You have to go to God with a thankful heart. God, I just, I just can't get over how good you have been to me. I just can't get over how amazed I am at your goodness and your grace and your provision. It's when you go to God with thankfulness that you then experience peace. No thankfulness, no peace. No peace in your life, then you're not thankful. These are absolutely connected. They're connected, they're correlated, whatever word you want to use, if we'll have a thankful heart, then we'll have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Let's just talk about Thanksgiving for a moment. I want to tell you how to do it in a minute, but, but let's, just, let's just make sure we have a biblical understanding of this, of this idea of gratitude or thankfulness. The first thing I want you to know, and I have an error uh, in, your, in your worship bulletin, but the Lord maybe will even use the error. Uh, it says on letter A, thankfulness is the root of all sins. Do you see the problem there? See, now it'll stick in your mind. I actually did that on purpose just to make sure you would, you would catch it. Uh, I meant to say the lack of thankfulness is the root of all sins. I had it right. Andre changed it. I don't know why, but we'll discuss it tomorrow. No, the lack of thankfulness is the root of all sins. Romans 1.21, for, for though they knew God, this describes sin, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude, but instead their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. The Bible talks about root sins. It mentions greed as a root sin and sexual immorality. It mentions bitterness. We talked about bitterness yesterday. The Bible talks about a root of bitterness. Don't let that grow up and defile many. And so there are root sins in the Bible. Now, root sin is one that you don't, that you don't easily see. You don't see roots. If, you're, if, you, if you have a garden, you don't see the roots. You see the fruit of the roots. You see the plant that comes from the roots. So the root sins, they're the sins that are underneath the surface, but they cause everything that happens above the surface. And so the Bible tells us that there are a number of root sins. But the root of the root is always ingratitude. Every sin is really the sin of ingratitude. That is the sin. Everything else is just the outcropping of that sin. We could go to the very first sin between Adam and Eve. Do you know what that sin was? You say, well, they ate the forbidden fruit. And they did, and that was sin. But why did they eat the forbidden fruit? Well, they ate the forbidden fruit because they weren't thankful for all that God had given to them. He had given them this veritable paradise and said, you can eat of any of this fruit that you want. And instead of focusing on what God had given to them, they did what? 
they focused on the one thing that he didn't allow them to have. Their problem was a lack of gratitude. We could go back before then, the sin of, of Satan. You know the story of Satan? He was an angel, a good angel. God created for, for his purpose and for his honor and glory. And God put him in a place of authority. And God made him beautiful and powerful. And Satan, instead of being thankful for the position and the honor that God had given to him, Satan focused on the one thing he didn't have, and that was the worship of creation. And he sought that. Satan's sin was a lack of gratitude. We can talk about everyday sins. Why, why do people steal? Why do people steal? Well, God has blessed them with a certain amount of provision. And God has blessed them with an ability to go and work. But instead of thank, being thankful for the provision and the resources and the talent and the energy that they have, instead of being thankful for that, they look for what they don't have. The reason people steal is lack of thankfulness. What about when somebody's unfaithful in a marriage? If a woman is unfaithful in a marriage, if a man is unfaithful in a marriage, I mean, you get right down to it, he, is, he, he has been unfaithful because he's not thankful for the woman that God has blessed him with. And so instead of being thankful for her, he's looked another direction. The sin is ingratitude. That is the root of all sins. Ingratitude or unthankfulness, the root of all sins. Now, secondly, I want you to know that thankfulness has its root in grace. So if unthankfulness is the root of all sins, well, where does thankfulness come from? And the reason I, I started to leave this out just for time, but the reason why I, I'm not is, is because there's probably somebody thinking, pastor, it's easy for you to preach on thankfulness. Your life is easy. You don't have any problems. You've got plenty of money. All your kids are happy. Your house is clean. You feel good. I mean, pastor, everybody's life is not as perfect as yours. Okay. That's tongue in cheek. I mean, you understand. But oftentimes people think, I can't do that. I, that pastor is just out of touch with real life. I can't be thankful. If he knew what I was going through, how dare him say I should choose thankfulness? Well, listen, thankfulness has the root of your thankfulness. If you're going to be thankful, the root of your thankfulness has to be the grace of God. See, I am thankful not because my life is smooth. I am thankful not because I don't have any problems or nothing hurts or, or, or everything is perfect. No, my thankfulness is because ultimately God has forgiven me of my sins. And he has made a, a way for me to spend eternity with him in heaven. That God has, has, has fully forgiven me and adopted me into his family. That's the root of, of thankfulness. Don't say, if you're a Christian this morning, you can't say there's not reason for thanksgiving. There is absolutely reason for thanksgiving. There's an overwhelming reason for thanksgiving. Now, there are other reasons to be thankful too, but the chief reason, the root of thankfulness is the grace of God. Uh, there is uh, a verse that you're likely not familiar with. It'll seem like an obscure verse, but uh, it, it demonstrates this. 2 Corinthians 4.15 it says, picking up in the middle of the verse, as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. It says, as more and more people receive the grace of God, grace goes out, thanksgiving comes back. The reason we are thankful is because we've received grace. Grace is that God has forgiven me of my sins. 
that God has purchased a place for me through Jesus in heaven. It's, in, it's even more apparent in the original language. So this is written in Greek, and uh, you, you don't want to know what all those words are, but let me just show you two words, because this just stands out when you read this in the original. The word for grace is chorus, chorus. The word for thanksgiving here in this verse is eucharistia. Now, so just a fancy ending that tells us something about it, but it's chorus and eucharist. Now, you means good. You know that. E-U means good. That's true in a lot of, a lot of English words. And so what it says is that grace, chorus, goes out and eucharist comes back. That God gives us grace and we respond with good grace. We respond by saying how good the grace is. The, the very foundation of our thanksgiving is that God has saved us. That's why we're thankful. Now, number three, very quickly, about thankfulness is thankfulness changes our perspective. The more and more things you see, the more and more you choose to be thankful for the things around you. It'll change your perspective. It'll change how you see things. Everything is different when we're thankful. Uh, I, I don't know if we understand the power of this. You know, let me tell you how you could ruin your marriage in 30 minutes. Would you like to know how to do that? Let me tell you, ruin your marriage. That's not the advice you thought you were going to get. It's not advice, but I just want you to know how you could do it. If you just really wanted to do it. You could take a piece of paper and you could say, I'm going to, I'm going to make a list of the 20 things, the top 20 things that just infuriate me about my spouse. The top 20 things that I just hate about him or her. And you start on that list. Now, some of you, it might take you a minute or two to get going because, you know, you want to be careful and, you know, there's, but, but I mean, except for my wife, she could really have a hard time with this. Most of you could come up, <laughs> if you worked at it, you could come up with a few things and here's what'll happen. I mean, I'll just tell you what'll happen. You might struggle with the first three or four or five but the more you wrote down, the easier it would be to think of some more. And you, I mean, those first two or three, you'd think, I'm, I'm never get to 20. But when you hit about 15, you'd be thinking, I'm not stopping at 20. I've never been so mad before. <laughs> You'll fill up page after page. And you know what you will have done? You will have so changed your perspective, you will ruin your marriage. So the other, other thing is true as well. If you want to bless your marriage... You just start making a list of all the reasons why God has been so good to you to give you your husband and wife. Maybe things are rocky right now. Maybe it's hard to get started, but you get started. And, and it'll change your perspective. And the more you think of, the more you will think of. And it'll change, your whole, it'll change your whole attitude. I've sat down with couples that were just on the brink of divorce. And I'll say, well, what's, what's the problem? And, and whoever is the, the most angry will go first. And he will have a whole list of things. And, and oftentimes, there are very significant things on the list. I'm not saying there are not some things on the list that need addressing. But, I, but sometimes I can tell about, about 20 minutes into the list that, that the problem is not the stuff on the list. The problem is the list, right? I mean, you, you have so changed your perspective. The problem is you're just, you, you have just rehearsed this story so many times. It has just poisoned your heart toward the other person. The biggest problem is not the stuff on the list. It's that you've got a list. And see, I say that to say, see, thankfulness changes our perspective. That's the wonderful thing about this. If you will choose to be thankful, it'll change everything about you. I'm running out of time. Let me tell you how to be thankful very quickly. 
how to be thankful. Number one, you have to make a choice. Thankfulness is always a choice. It's not something that happens to you because your life is easier than somebody else's. It's not the byproduct of an easy life. It's not a natural disposition. Thankfulness is always a choice. You show me a miserable person who's unthankful and his life is filled with ingratitude, I'll show you a person who has chosen that path. We must choose to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When it says give thanks, that's a command. A command implies a choice. You can choose to be thankful in all circumstances. No matter what, you can choose to be thankful. Start uh, with, uh, with Jesus. I had a conversation with somebody about three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, not connected with our church. And so this, this lady was angry. Uh, and, and, and she was frustrated and she was bitter. It's not somebody in Nacogdoches, uh, but, uh, it was just hard to talk to her. See, it was all, all the, all, all the anger was because of a medical problem that she was experiencing. And it was a pretty serious medical problem. Uh, but, but she just was filled with, with bitterness and, and, and she was miserable. And, and, and then I called her one day and, and I hadn't talked to her in about 48 hours and it was completely different. She had a whole new outlook and attitude and they were completely different. And I said, well, you've got to tell me. I mean, her medical condition had not changed in any kind of significant way between those two calls. Well, what's the difference? She said, you know, I was sitting here and, 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 I, and I thought, if I continue to go down this path, I'm just going to become more and more miserable. But Jesus has saved me. Jesus, Jesus has, has given me breath. Jesus has given me another day. Jesus, and, and she said, I just made a decision. I'm not going to be a miserable person. I'm going to be a thankful person. She said, and it was like turning on a light switch. And over the next 48 hours, things so changed dramatically in her life with her spirit and with her health. Uh, we need to choose to be thankful. Uh, number two, we need to continue to be thankful. This is not a one-time choice. This is a, a lifestyle. Uh, this isn't just something you do today and you're finished, but it needs to be continual, continual. Number three, we need to communicate our thankfulness. Uh, I, I, I preached a message on Thanksgiving at the end of November 2017. I, I like to preach on thankfulness every year. I think it's, it's so important. We need constant reminders. And I will try to make every message original and unique, but, I, I, but, but, but I'll say the same thing. So... Come back in 2019, if the Lord wills, well, I'll preach basically the same message uh, because thankfulness is just so important. But the scripture passage I used last year was a passage in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 17, where Jesus encountered 10 men with leprosy. Some of you remember this. 10 men had leprosy. They come to Jesus. Jesus heals all 10 men. And so he sends them off to the priest so that they can report their healing. And one of the 10 men comes back and says, Jesus, thank you. And then Jesus says something really odd, and I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus says, where are the other nine guys? Are they not thankful? To which I'm thinking, well, Jesus, of course they're thankful. But Jesus thought the other nine that didn't come back weren't thankful. And it just seems like Jesus is wrong. Jesus, certainly those people are thankful that they've been healed of their leprosy. Well, so what's the deal here? Is Jesus wrong? Well, of course not. Jesus is never wrong. Jesus knew something that we don't know. Thankfulness is not thankfulness unless it is expressed. You can't be thankful in your heart. You've got to say it. 
You got to communicate it. If I were to ask you in here, if we took a poll and I said, how many of you are thankful people? Every person would say that they are thankful. But, but many people would be lying because you're not thankful unless you've said it. When have you got on your knees and just talked to the Lord about how thankful you are? Not what you need, not how you feel, not what, you, what you're asking for, but God, I'm just overwhelmed with thanksgiving. When's the last time you sat down with your wife or your husband and just said, let me tell you why I'm thankful. I'm not, th this isn't a, a strategy for me to get something. I just want you to know I'm thankful for, for you. You ever given somebody a gift? And uh, maybe it was a significant gift. You gave them something cost you hundred bucks or something and you're excited about giving it to them. So you gave it to them and you never hear a word. No, you mailed it to them or something or you gave it to them and they opened it out of your presence and you never get a word. And so what do you think after a couple of weeks? No note, no call. You think they're not thankful for that. Isn't that what you think? Now, you know that they're thankful, right? I mean, they're not sitting at home saying, I wish he wouldn't have given me $100. What a burden that is that he gave me $100. Well, they're thankful. So why do you think they're not thankful? Because they didn't tell you. And thankfulness that is not expressed is not thankfulness. If we're going to be thankful people, if we're going to have the peace of God surpasses all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, if that's going to be our... Our, our avenue out of depression, we have to express our thankfulness. Let me give you a three-step plan. Number one, start with Jesus on your knees or in your seat today. We're going to stand and sing in a moment. And, and I want you, I, I'm hoping half the people, Andre, don't sing. Because I just want people to, I want you to take a minute and just say, God, thank you. Would you do it right now? Don't just say, well, I, God knows. No, God needs to hear. Tell him you're thankful. Let it start. Decide today. Make it demonstrative. You can come at the altar. You can sit or stand. But tell God today how thankful. Make him a list. I'm thankful. Here's four reasons why. Here's 10 reasons why. Thank the Lord. Number two, move to a list before the end of the day. Would you take a piece of paper out by the end of the day and just begin to write a list of the things that you're thankful for? About, your, about how the Lord has provided, about your family, about whatever. You just begin to make a list. It'll change you. The peace of God surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is worth it. So start with Thanksgiving. Start with Jesus right now. And then make a list by the end of the day. You don't have to show it to anybody. Write it on the back of a napkin. But before you go to bed, make a list. Make a list. And then number three, commit to, to a prayer of thanksgiving every morning. Maybe before your feet hit the ground, you just take a moment and say, Lord, as I wake up today, I want my first thoughts to be about how good you have been to me. And I am thankful. And here are three or four reasons why. You say, well, that just seems like positive thinking, Pastor. No, Listen. That is the conduit through which God will put peace into our lives, the peace that passes understanding. That is how we know real peace. We just their head bowed and eyes closed. If, if you don't know Christ as your savior, if you've never surrendered to him confessing your sins, that's where it starts. You can't be thankful until you've been saved. The good news is he's ready to save you today. There'll be people here at the front. You can come and take somebody's hand and say, today, I want to trust Christ. And that will be the beginning of your Thanksgiving journey that'll change your life for eternity. But many of us today, we know we're saved. It's time to choose Thanksgiving. Not choose it in your heart, but choose it for real. Would you thank God 
just as we stand and sing in a moment? Would you thank God? Give him a list. Would you, by the end of the day, make a list on a piece of paper? The 20% of you who will, it'll be life-changing. Will you commit to being thankful to God every morning, your first thoughts before you get out of bed? Lord, you have been so good. Jesus dying for us on the cross, nothing compares. Help our hearts overflow with thanksgiving, beginning right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.